1: plushcare.com slash weight loss namaste yogis this is andrew seeley here to welcome you to the yoga revealed podcast and today i have another powerfully transformational interview for you from addiction to empowerment we go on a journey of truth and self-study with recovery 2.0 founder tommy rosen His sincere passion for curing addiction through yoga has enabled him to gather like-minded thought leaders from a variety of expertise to come together online to teach you about the power that you have to stop addiction and start taking your life by the wheel. Today, Tommy Rosen reveals his journey through addiction to recovery and shares his wisdom in finding a better way through yoga.
0: I don't want any student Uh, Anyone who comes to my class, I don't want them to believe anything that I say. I want them to experience what they experience and make up their own mind about it. That's the beautiful thing about yoga.
1: Be clear with your intentions as we start anew. Find resilience with Tommy Rosen and find a clear view on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Tommy Rosen. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seely here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. It brings me great honor to be here sitting beside the one and only Tommy Rosen right here in Boulder, Colorado. And I just actually finished up taking his amazing class um, where we explored consciousness. And now we sit across from each other for a beautiful podcast interview. How are you feeling today, Tommy?
0: Uh I would say that it would be hard for me to feel much better. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously.
1: The presence of life is beautiful. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Um, So we really like to start off the podcast with a little bit of your past and going back into some of the days that were obviously different from now and how yoga was first revealed to you.
0: Mm. I'm coming from a background, as many people know, of addiction in my life. First part of my life was marked by an unbelievable search for comfort,
1: Mm.
0: ease. And I was looking in in places that brought me short-term comfort, but there were always long-term prices to pay. Mm. So I I I really have come to understand that the a person who struggles with addiction lives in such a way where short-term gain, long-term loss is acceptable to them and if you live that way just mathematically it's not going to work out mm. you know you, you gain a little ease a little comfort in the short term but you have to give up something some consequence some price needs to be paid that's much bigger than the short term you know ease that you were able to get and over time that doesn't work out that's an unsustainable situation and so I I I learned that the hard way. I, I played it out all the way. Yeah. And uh, so drugs and alcohol, and, and any, anywhere a person can avoid themselves or avoid the present moment, it all became possible, right, uh, uh, on the road of addiction. But thankfully, and, and miraculously, uh, there was an end to that. Hmm. I reached a bottom. And the bottom, for me, my teacher has has clarified what a bottom is. Me and, and a bottom is just that moment when a person is finally ready to tell the truth.
1: Mm. So, at what time in your life did that happen? Like, give me a, a synopsis as to where you were in your life and what brought you to that place.
0: Mm. I was in Boulder, Colorado. Wow, where we are now today.
1: Mm.
0: Six blocks from here is the home where I was, where I reached my first bottom, and I had been awake for three days smoking cocaine and doing heroin and that's where it had gotten to for me it was 1989 in the summertime I woke up and I I no longer could live the way that I had been living but I had no idea how else I could possibly live so I was in that place that very very special place of crisis Uh, I was cornered I had cornered myself through my behavior and all my actions had led to that moment. And it's a moment where I really see it as a, a crossroads. You can, you can die or you can live. And I picked up the phone, not sure which of those choices I, I wanted, but I called my father. Mm. And I was gonna tell him everything but the truth. And so you know, I said, look dad, my girlfriend broke up with me, school's not going very well, you know, I don't have any money, like, just, just bemoaning my life at every level. And he just cut right to the chase, and, and he said, I know you're on drugs, I know you're on drugs, and this time, you have to get help. You have to go get some help. And I said, no, I'm not gonna go. I'm not going. And my dad started to cry. And there was a moment of grace there. In that moment, I, I glimpsed myself through his pain. I was able to see beyond myself for the first time in many, many, many years, and I saw that my behavior, my addiction, had deeply affected my father and my family around me. And I saw that this was leading nowhere. I was, I was going nowhere. I was truly stuck. I said, uh, "Dad, stop crying. I'll go. Please stop crying. I'll go get some help." And I went off to rehab. That was 1989 in. Uh, I think I arrived at rehab July 25th, 1989, up in Minnesota, and that's where my life began anew. I had I had died a spiritual death. I had died a, an ego death. The worst thing that could have happened to me was that, and it happened. Mm-hmm. And so off I went. Uh, I was in a state, at that time, I was, I was in a state of desperation. I wouldn't say I was in a state of surrender, and there is a difference. Mm-hmm. But about two weeks into that that experience of treatment at rehab, at this rehab center called Hazelden, by the way, which is a wonderful uh, center, I was shown a level of love and kindness by a counselor. And I broke down and tears over the past that I'd held for 10, maybe 15 years, tears started to flow. And it was that moment where I surrendered. And I said, you know, these people might not be against me. They might actually want, (laughs) they might be in it for my well-being. And so I started to open up to what was happening there in that process. And you begin again, you know, you begin again. You get out of there after 30 or 40 or whatever, it was 50 days for me. And uh, I came back to Boulder and and I began again.
1: Uh, So at this new space in your life, when you began again... Did you find yoga right away?
0: Mm. I did not find yoga right away. Uh, So when I got out, it was late August or September, 89. And I was looking at my life, and and this is very important for for the practice of yoga and what I've learned since then, I was looking at my recovery as being segmented out from the rest of my life. Mm. Recovery was not a part of my life, it was just... Something, I will leave my life and I'll go to a 12-step meeting, for example. Like, I knew I had to go to meetings and be around community. So I'd go to the meeting, I'd check off that box for the day, and then I'd go back to my life. Mm -hmm. So you see, there was this segmented, unintegrated approach to my life at that point. And so that's going to be another unsustainable way to move forward and progress through life. Because you're going to eventually if you're not invested with your heart in in actions that you're taking, those actions are gonna become boring or fruitless. You'll stop taking those actions because you're not really behind it in your heart. And that's exactly what happened. So I stopped going to 12-step meetings. I stopped being involved in recovery activity at any level. And about a year and a little bit more after I had gotten sober, after I'd gone off to treatment, I relapsed and I started using drugs again.
1: Mm.
0: But I didn't go right back to the hard drugs I was sort of dabbling hmm. I was in this middle phase
1: Little things You're like, oh, I, you know, maybe I'll tr- try a little alcohol Yeah, or-
0: drink a little bit, I'll smoke a little pot Maybe, you know, this, that, or the other thing But I, I truly, in my heart of hearts, was terrified of cocaine and heroin hmm. And there was, there, was, there was so much fear there But I'll make a very long story short for you I came to the second bottom of my life And the second bottom is in some ways more powerful than the first bottom the first bottom is a bottom of desperation. The second bottom is the bottom where you're like, I have to get this thing. Not because someone in rehab told you, not because your parents told you or friends told you, but because you know that you have this condition, this thing is happening. It's, it's called addiction and you have it. And if you don't address it, you will never be able to move forward in your life. And so, I went back to 12-step meetings, completely new attitude, new perspective, and I started to put my heart and my soul into my recovery. I started to work the 12 steps. Now by this point, it was 1991 and I had moved to San Francisco. So I I got sober in 89, I stayed sober for a year. I went out for a year, got sober again in 91. Now I'm walking up the street in San Francisco and there's this big sign and it just says, YOGA. Hmm. And this is now this is 1991 and this is really truly before the explosion of yoga in the United States just before Right. It's coming, but it's it's not quite there yet I walk into this class and there's a woman teaching her name is Janet McLeod She's still teaching today. She's an Iyengar teacher and what I remember about Janet is she moved with so much grace that to me, it looked like a cartoon character. Mm. Like she'd, she'd come into a posture and she'd bend her body to where I felt a body was going to bend to. But then she just, just kept going. <laughs> like it didn't seem possible or real. But the thing about how she moved was there was so much grace and elegance and freedom in her body. And I was like, that. I want that. I want that freedom. Because all addiction really is, is a quest for freedom, right? It's a quest for ease and comfort, as I had said before. And and this was an outward representation of freedom. And I was immediately attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, look at that. Wow, I could move like that. I, I would want to move like that, you know? And uh, so I, I got into to my first phase with yoga, which really lasted about 12 years. Mm, about 11 years, 12, 11, 12 years. <laughs> And that phase was characterized by a lot of ego, uh, a lot of emphasis on the on the outer form, the physical body, um, and, and and the release and the relief that it gave me. So I'd lay there in Shavasana at the end of class. And I want to just tell you, I worked so hard in those classes. Hmm. You know, Downward Dog was, was a struggle.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, my first few yoga classes. Oh my I, God. <laughs> I definitely can relate to not being able to do the asana practice because my body was so muscle-bound.
0: Yes, yes. So whether you have built up strength, muscles in your body as an athlete, or you have tension patterns through your body, Mm -hmm. I come to understand that addiction is really nothing more than a tension pattern Mm -hmm. in the mind and the body. That's what it is. It's a a particular pattern. So here yoga was going to begin to unravel that very deeply held tension in my body. But it was going to happen over time. Yeah. But even after a single class, I'd lay there in Shavasana, and I would literally feel blood, energy, uh, prana, life force go through my body. It was the most incredible feeling, and I remember thinking, I feel high. But it wasn't like a high off drugs. I, I felt that relief, that ease, that sense of of transcendence or having raised myself up above a problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was it was absolute joy and mm-hmm. bliss and so i kept coming back for it but i had no idea what yoga held in store for me down the road when i got beyond the physical and started looking at the subtle realms of yoga and understanding energy and the movement of prana and the direction of prana and healing the body at deeper levels and detoxifying the body at deeper levels. I mean, it was a revelation to me. and I'd been practicing yoga for 12 years when I finally found my teacher.
1: Mm, Wow. So you had just been continuously going to classes and basically integrating it into your daily life. And when did you first decide that you wanted to actually take yoga to the next level and begin learning from someone who, I would say, would not only take your practice to the next level, but also your sense of teaching and being able to share that with others.
0: Yes. Well, I need to be honest and say that for those first 12 years, it certainly wasn't a daily practice. Oh, okay. You know, there was there was in and out. There were periods where I would be very dedicated. And then there would be long periods. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't practice for a month or a week or I'd miss five days and then come back to it. So it was very much... Uh, 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 very challenging for me as much as I love the feeling that it produced it was still challenging for me to devote or discipline myself to get there but I stayed with it Mm -hmm. the answer to your question yoga chose me I didn't make a decision that I was going to go to a deeper level my what ended up happening for me is I I lost essentially I lost the ability to move And I don't know if you know that piece of my story, but uh, I was still engaged in addictive behavior. In my case, it was gambling, really severe gambling and uh, cigarette smoking. (laughs) So disconnection with my breath Mm -hmm. and uh, really struggling in relationships with women. My my romantic relationships, really tough, like filled with stress. Mm -hmm. So even though I had put down drugs and alcohol, my primary addictions, it was still in me. And I refer to it as the frequency of addiction in a book that I wrote called Recovery 2.0. I write all about this, this unfolding through yoga of my life. So there I was in 2003, carrying a lot of stress in my body, a little bit lost, sober 12 years from drugs and alcohol, feeling good about that, but still engaged in these other behaviors. And it, it took its toll on my body. I came back from Las Vegas after a horrendous weekend of gambling. I was dancing at a concert and uh, an excruciating pain shot through my back, down through my hips, down through my legs, down through my feet, and I collapsed on the ground in pain. No idea what had happened. At the time, I had no awareness of, of how my behavior as a a compulsive gambler could lead to some kind of traumatic event in the body i didn't get it and my friends were there and they were like what tommy what what's going on i'm like i don't know but something terrible has just happened something terrible has just happened and for the next 9 months i i could stand and i could move slowly but i was just in pain mm. from morning until night i had no strength in my legs um, the minute I woke up put my feet on the ground pain began went to bed at night and took my legs up off the ground and laid down and the pain would, would subside a bit this went on I went to every kind of healer that you can find in LA and as you probably know that's every kind of healer yeah right?
1: I'm sure you went to plenty acupuncture the, yoga oh my
0: god chiropractic, chiropractors massage <laughs> trainers yoga teachers meditation teachers everything hmm. but uh, nothing was getting it wasn't getting any better, and I was 35 at the time, and quite, quite literally terrified that this was this was the end of my life as, as a person who could move in their body. Well, a friend came up to me and said, uh, uh, "Oh, wait, so first I went and uh, I finally broke down and went and I got an MRI at a prominent hospital in Los Angeles, and uh, the surgeon and the radiologist were there. My wife Kia was there by my side, and they read my MRI and they said." We don't know how you're standing right now. You have severe degenerative disc disease. You have two herniations at L3, L4, and L4, L5. And you are going to be on drugs for the rest of your life for this pain. It never gets better, it only gets worse. And eventually you're gonna be on a table and we're gonna have to operate on you. That was the third bottom of my life, that moment. And I became utterly humbled, utterly willing to do whatever it took not to have that fate play out in my life. A few days later, a friend came up to me and said, Tommy, if you really want to fix your back, you need to see this man named Guru Prem. Hmm. Guru Prem. And and to be honest with you, my inner dialogue was, I'm not going to see anybody named Guru Prem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was your fear?
0: Well, it was it was more like I'm fed up with gurus, I'm fed up with all of these folks. I'm I'm closed minded to the idea of going to see this someone anyone who would refer to themselves as guru Prem. I'm not going. Like just shut my mind. Closed. <laughs> so that night, that same night, I went out to dinner with Kia, my wife, across town, and there was a bubbly woman at the table next to ours. She struck up a conversation with us. Hey, how are you guys? <laughs> we're like, we're we're just fine. How are you? She's like, I'm great. I just got to L.A. And we're like, well, that's, you know, that's wonderful. What brings you here? And she's like, well, I came to see this man named Guru Prem. <laughs> Same night. Same night. Mm-hmm. So I call him. I call him the next morning. Apparently, I'm supposed to come see you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, well, we better get you in here then. So I go to his office in Beverly Hills, apparently where all the gurus hang out, knock on his door, and boom, it's him. White turban, long white beard, salt and pepper beard at the time, glasses, flowing white robes, I mean the whole deal. Yeah. And I, and my inner dialogue again is like, oh my God, has it come to this? <laughs> like I can't believe it. You know, I grew up in New York City and I, I'm a little bit cynical and... You know this was very far outside of what I had imagined my salvation was going to look like. So I sat in Guru Prem's office on the floor, he had a yoga mat. I sat on one end of the yoga mat. He sat on the other yoga on the other end of the yoga mat facing me. And I looked at him. I looked at his face. And in that moment, what I was seeing, for the first time in my life, was a contented human being. I had never seen that before. And it was powerful. Mm -hmm. I sat in front of him and I was like, wow. And I knew in that moment, now this had been nine months of me being in pain, and I'm thinking things like, my life as I knew it is over. But I sat in front of him and for the first time in nine months, I knew I was gonna be okay. I knew I would be okay. Now, I wasn't cured by any means. That My back was killing me that day. And I sat on that mat, and it must have been the ugliest posture that he's seen on a yoga mat, right? (laughs) But I said, whatever this guy has, I'm coming for it. And I started to see him once a week pretty much for the next five years. Like clockwork. I'd be there Wednesday, 12 noon, in his office, and we would... He'd teach me how to breathe. That was the first thing, is he taught me how to breathe properly. And no I idea, I had never in 12 years of yoga, no one had taught me how to breathe. I had no idea how to take a deep breath to the bottom of my lungs, how to fill up my mid-lungs, how to fill up my upper lungs, how to breathe to my fullest capacity. I had no idea how to use the breath to enter a meditative state. No one had showed me how to use the breath to change my emotional state. And Guru Prem was about to teach me all of those things. He was about to give me the keys to the kingdom. Because I was somebody who had been looking for ease and comfort my whole life. And it was literally right under my nose the entire time. And the breath was it. So we started there. He taught me all these incredible breaths. We, we learned Kundalini Yoga. He taught me how to move. How to move the body coordinated with breath. It was different than vinyasa. It was more surgical. Hmm. precise, deeper in some way.
1: Were he those was, the Kriyas?
0: Kriyas, he taught me some Kriyas, so these sets of exercises that would lead to a particular place like, like what we've practiced um, together before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, he taught me meditation in the Kundalini system. And these were meditations that often they were very difficult. They required a certain kind of focus or um, holding your arms up for long periods of time. Very challenging, but as you sat there in silence after the challenging part was over, much easier to enter that, that one-pointed stillness, mm-hmm. what we call shunyata. that shunia, that to be able to get beyond your thinking. And to access a deeper place of consciousness. He taught me how to do that. And when he taught me how to do that. Ease and healing. And health started to come into my life. Wow. 90 minutes. uh, Sorry 90 minutes. 90 days. After I met Guru Prem. My back pain went away.
1: Just completely. 100%. Wow. Just through using the breath. And doing these different practices.
0: Talking. I would say that. Honestly, his love Mm -hmm. and his presence had a lot to do with it. Um, I changed up my diet a lot. That had something to do with it, for sure. But that 90 days, from when I met him to 90 days later, was this scary process. Because I remember saying to him, like, we're 20 or 30 days in. I'm like, God, I'm I'm not there yet. I'm still in pain. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? And he's like... Just take it easy, you know. And that was always the mantra, really. Take Just it take easy. Take it easy. Just take it easy. Because what what had actually happened through my addictive behavior and all the stress I was carrying was nothing was too easy. Yeah. Everything tension. was tension. Tension. Boom. So that was 13 years ago. Wow. I've never looked back. Uh, I, I took the Kundalini Yoga teacher training. After that, I took a, a, a Hatha 200-hour a Hatha training with. With Kia and, and the wonderful Annie Carpenter.
1: Yes. Through
0: Yoga Works. Yes. And um, I started to teach right away after that. And 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 all this, this work of recovery, all the 12-step work that I had done those first 12 years, it combined so beautifully and became more powerful and more meaningful and relevant with the yoga as a complement to it. Mm. And so Now I teach Recovery 2.0, which is really just all the lessons that Guru Prem gifted me with all those
1: years. But now unified with your education from your own recovery and your experience through finding health and happiness in your body. Precisely. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing.
0: It it is amazing. I I say thank you every day. Hmm. I don't always know who I'm thanking. (laughs) I just say thank you all the time. And uh, it's the greatest life. And... Uh, when I think back to the many bottoms, the, the three that I've mentioned here and probably a few others along the way, uh, it's just a miracle. Because, you know, I mean, listen, I, I I said no to Guru Prem. I said no to a deeper level of, of healing. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And the universe was like, no, no, you're going to say yes to this. And so I literally say, how could I take credit for my practice? Sure, I have to show up and I have to practice, and the action will be mine. But the fruit of my action see, is not mine. Yeah, giving it up. That's the way. Yeah, well, that's what I just see. I see the beauty of the, the the design pushing me forward towards healing, and then being able to help other people as a result of that. I see the elegance of the design. Hmm. It's a it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. So i'm in this I'm really in this state of gratitude, and on those moments on those days where I fall out of gratitude, I enter that space of complaining um it's got nothing to do with anybody except me mm. it's It's originating from ego once again, and it's another opportunity for growth whenever that happens, so it's a work in progress
1: <laughs> as every single day is mm. as all yoga is. Mm. I feel like from taking your class, your kundalini class, and really understanding the depth of the breath and how imperative that is to opening up the body, um, could you describe more about how kundalini yoga, say, differs from your normal hatha yoga class? Sure.
0: Hatha yoga really is about the union of opposites. Um, Male, female, masculine, feminine uh, polarities coming together mm-hmm. to bring about a, a sense of, of unity in the mind-body system. It also, in, a very, in very physical terms, it does strengthen the body. It creates stability as well as flexibility if it's taught well
1: mm-hmm. and if
0: it's practiced correctly. So you're, you're working with the connective tissue of the body, uh, the muscles, the fascia, the 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 tendons and the ligaments you're working with all of this connective tissue to uh, expand possibility in the body you're being able to bring in through the breath prana life force through that practice and directing it around the body in different kinds of ways that's a big big piece of the hatha yoga practice and it's very powerful and and it's very enjoyable and it's a lovely practice and it's it's a, a practice that's challenging enough for a lifetime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So nobody, I mean, I just don't believe that anybody actually masters hatha yoga. <laughs> I think you're just you're just always working at it. And mm-hmm. of course, as you become an older person, um, so I'm 49 at this point, I'm not practicing yoga in the way I was when I was 29.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: My needs are different, my body is different, and so my, I'm needing to take my hatha yoga practice uh, day by day, wherever I'm at, in the strength level and the flexibility level of my body. Right. So that's all. That's all beautiful, and that's hatha. Kundalini yoga is known as the yoga of awareness. It begs the question: What are what are we becoming aware of? Mm-hmm. Right. We're that was being,
1: exactly what I was going to ask. Right.
0: We're becoming aware <laughs> of our true nature. So it's it's by by um, by definition, in a way, it's a It's a a more subtle, deeper form of yoga. Not deeper meaning better, just deeper getting into the deeper levels of, of a human being's five koshas, if you will. So we're working with the subtle body. We're working with the nervous system, the endocrine system. We're working with the breath. Ultimately, we're trying to connect with The divinity that is in within each each one of us. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: It's a it's a it's a perspective. It's a vantage point. I don't want any student, uh, anyone who comes to my class. I don't want them to believe anything that I say. I want them to experience what they experience and make up their own mind about it. That's the beautiful thing about yoga. Kundalini yoga delivers for most people who practice it some form of experience. You feel it. You seem to be able to get in touch with a more subtle part of yourself. As that happens, you experience an expanded state of awareness. I don't mean that in esoteric terms. I simply mean that you are aware of more than you used to be. It translates into your relationships. Mm -hmm. You might be aware of, of a person's emotions you might catch it in a way that you didn't used to catch it. You might be aware of your relationship with food, and that shifts in a deep, deep way. You might be aware of your relationship to your environment around you. Clutter might be a problem for you in a way that it didn't used to be a problem for you. Different things, you'll start noticing shifts in the way you are in your body, in your relationships, and in the world. That was my experience with kundalini yoga. I also have found that it really is very good at releasing subconscious patterning, what I would call subconscious patterning. The way I would describe it is this. Imagine you're trying to quit smoking cigarettes, as I was for many years. You try and you try and you try and it's sort of an element of white knuckling, like you're really putting in the effort, but a part of you is still sort of Uh, stuck with it. Mm -hmm. A part of you still wants to do the behavior for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So you're stuck in that addiction for a period of time. For me, through the practice of kundalini yoga, I no longer had to try to stop smoking. It just fell away from my life. Mm.
1: Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense in the sense of um, habits and how just like smoking could be a subconscious habitual practice where You don't even realize what it feels like to pick up a cigarette and put it to your lips and bam, you're smoking again. And you're like, oh, goodness, why am I smoking right now? But until you adapt another habit Mm. that becomes so much more fulfilling that you don't even need to smoke a cigarette. So it's um, or from at least my practice of yoga, I, I would say that I had an addictive habitual practice of partying and going out and being social And finding that my sense of awareness of myself was heightened by my egotistic self being in a social setting. Yes. So with my yoga practice, that allowed me to become more introspective of myself. And the more that I practiced with myself, the less I needed to be going out and partying and having these experiences where I'm with the friends and taking the pictures and all that kind of stuff. It was like I, I didn't even really think about it anymore.
0: Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, that's a very similar experience to me. The kundalini energy, so not speaking of kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan, but just the word kundalini, has a long history in yoga Mm -hmm. and really talking about the latent potential of a human being Mm -hmm. and how to unlock that. So Yogi Bhajan, when he brought his kriyas and his mantras and his meditations to the United States in the late 60s and early 70s, really was about specifically transforming people out of bad habits into uh, life-enhancing uh, behaviors, right? And, and becoming uh, a stronger, more capable individual who is truly in touch with their, their truest, innermost self. That's the goal there. And then from that place, you just teach. You just present. You just, you give... You creatively create a life from your heart's desire. Mm-hmm. You have that power where before you didn't have that power. You felt maybe at the mercy of circumstances or the mercy of people, and then you get to this place where you're you're pretty much beyond complaint, mm-hmm. except for some petty nonsense that comes up now and then. Yeah, and and so the kundalini has made me very very strong inside and out.
1: Well, it shows definitely. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I I wanted to come back to your book, because I feel that the, the experience of putting together all of this amazing awareness into these pages that are now your book, what would you say are three takeaways that you want people to have from reading your book?
0: Mm. Thank you. Uh, First takeaway would be we're constantly evolving Mm. to try to fight that evolution is very painful. I look at evolution as swapping a story that we carry about ourselves for another story, hopefully a better story about ourselves and it's a continuous swapping of one story for the next which moves us forward. Of course the way that we see ourselves, think about ourselves, the deeply the deep-held beliefs that we carry are going to determine the outcome of our life. So digging down and really looking at what are those beliefs? How can I develop new beliefs that are going to bring about more power and more possibility for me to create and realize my full potential as a human being? So that's the first is we're evolving. Change is happening. It's going to keep happening. Uh, We try not to hang on to old stories that no longer serve us. Mm. Second takeaway, um, the 12 steps work, they really work. Uh, They help to lift a person out of addiction into recovery. They provide an an epic, solid, amazing foundation for recovery, I want people to understand that. The 12 steps are are, are painfully, dreadfully misunderstood. Mm. So uh, part of the book is to try to explain and make more accessible this beautiful philosophy and spirituality. I say to people though in the same breath that the 12 steps really are the first step. That I don't think it's a good idea to make the 12 steps your entire life. But I think that you get a life because of the 12 steps and then you get an opportunity to explore this extraordinary world and, and the wonderland of consciousness as, as we've spoken about in class. The third takeaway, there are so many but I'll try to keep it to three. <laughs> The third takeaway is our relationship with food is critical. I can't overstate it. You know, the cliche about people in recovery is they drink a lot of coffee, they smoke cigarettes, and they eat donuts. Mm. And that's not far from the truth about a lot of folks who haven't yet stepped into a greater, uh, more conscious relationship with food you are what you eat, really turns out to be true.
1: Truth indeed.
0: So on this path of yoga, uh, I would say what it's given me is a, a heightened understanding of the power of food. Also the power of prayer and being grateful for your food. My, my incredible teacher, Guru Prem, said, you know, you can, a, a child can never be spoiled if they just pray. A prayer of gratitude before they eat their food. You could never be spoiled if you do that from the heart. So I take that to heart. And uh, prayer before food, eating really well. I find that if you eat addictively, you think addictively. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone like me, you don't want to be thinking addictively. It's just it's going to move you away from comfort, away from ease. And then you find yourself acting out in other ways as we've seen that I have done that in my life. So the the transition to a healthy diet has, man, it has made such a big difference in my life.
1: Certainly, the chemicals within that we put Mm. into our body from the food are just as effective as the ones that we produce from our brains. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So this this actually brings me to where I wanna finish up at, which is um, for our listeners who are listening at home, or in their cars, or on their way to their next yoga class, what is one golden nugget of wisdom that you can pass on to them?
0: The power of community. Nothing worthwhile happens alone in this world. Everything is a collaboration. Even meditation is a collaboration. You're collaborating with the person who created the mat you're sitting on, Or the couch you're sitting on, or the floor you're sitting on. You're collaborating with a community of other people. You're collaborating and you're building your own consciousness on the shoulders of teachers that have come before you. Everything is a collaboration. Everything is a co-creation. Nothing belongs to us. We're just passing through. And so to connect in with community, to be uplifted by community is so powerful. Whether you're on a path of recovery from addiction or you're on a spiritual path or you're just trying to be the best you can be. People, other people, are going to play a major role in your life. At every, every single place where I had to get to that next plateau and get up to that next level, there was always a teacher and loving people there, a community of support, people who could hold a high bar, people who held the light, They carried the light and they showed you the way. And, uh, you know, when we say our mantra at the beginning of class, Ong Namo, Guru Dev Namo, it's honoring the people, the teachers that have come before. Without whose efforts we couldn't possibly be here right now. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So consciousness is contagious.
1: (laughs) That's the truth.
0: You got to catch it. And you want to be around people who carry a high consciousness so you can catch it from them.
1: Yes, Indeed. Well, the Yoga Revealed Podcast listeners are better for your knowledge, and we absolutely appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Satnam. Satnam. Blessings.
0: Nam- blessings, Namaste.
1: Namaste. Yoga Revealers, if you have loved ones or you yourself have faced some type of addiction, be sure to check out Tommy Rosen's upcoming free online recovery 2.0 conference this September 14th to the 18th, 2016. That's next week. It all starts on Wednesday, and I'll meet you there. Learn to move beyond addiction and upgrade your life. You'll have access to cutting-edge interviews full of inspirational, medical, and practical approaches to overcoming addictions of all kinds. Join us online by clicking Recovery 2.0 at Yogareveal.com. See you there, Yoga Revealers.